well, the pandemic happened for like at a really kind of, if I could speak loosely, like fucked up part of my life. Okay. Like the pandemic hit right as I moved to a new country, right as um, you know my partner and I had a baby. Okay. I got a new job. Um, we were uh, I bought a house and I was renovating it, and like then the pandemic happened, mm-hmm. and it just like it was. I mean, I know everyone had a rough pandemic, but I had an extra rough pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like, started this new job, was living in a construction site, in this new relationship with this new child, in this new country, going into work, talking to these new people, not feeling good about anything in life right now, and having to actually be a source of positivity. Yeah. Uh, Jamar McNeil, thank you for coming, brother. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You do a lot of important work. You do a lot. You have a lot of important conversations. Um, You're the you're the co-host of the Marilyn Dennis and Jamar show Mm -hmm. on Chum 104.5. Yes. Which uh, the folks at Chum 104.5, Azalea, super kind. She she did a quick segment during. uh, Bell Let's Talk Day mm-hmm. on the Gents Talk Pod. Which yeah, was we were really supposed cool. to link up that we day, were. man. I really uh, you were busy. I was something, and I regret being something that they. <laughs> no, it just means there's another opportunity for us to get together. This is a good, and this is one of them. Love it. <laughs> no, but listen, we appreciate you coming on to the Gents Talk Pod. We, one of our biggest motivations here is to have real, authentic conversations, man to man to man, about you know how to become better men how to help other men in our lives, how to normalize the conversations around men showing vulnerability, but also just becoming better humans. Yeah. And you have a massive platform through the radio station, but at the same time, you know, you're a person who has achieved a measure of success and people see that, but they only see a fraction of what your entire life looks like. Mm -hmm. They just see that social media element of it right and that's just one small fraction of who you are as a man mm-hmm. and on that note who's jamar who's the man behind the the radio i guess well, the, voice. <laughs> the, voice, the, the voice the man behind the voice yeah <laughs> yeah you know i am uh i'd like to say i i think i pride myself on my uniqueness okay um we're all unique people but you know at some point in my life i realized that there were things about me and I think that's a good thing. You just start realizing like, yo, I'm different. You know, um, I'm not like everyone on my block. I'm not like everyone in my neighborhood. I'm not even like everyone in my family. Mm. I'm kind of like just feeling different, wanting to do different things. And um, that really has been a running theme in my life. Um, I grew up in uh, in New York City. I grew up in Queens, New York. And, um, you know, proud uh, Jamaican-American, uh, dual citizen. Uh, just grew up in just a really blue collar, pretty, you know, my city is very, very interesting where it's like, depending on where you're walking, it can change very quickly. You know, cribs and houses and grass, you walk a couple blocks up the street, you got a duck and then you can chill. And then, you know, so, um, I would love to say that I grew up in like a great place, but there were not so great things going on in certain places. And, uh, I think that really shaped kind of my um, upbringing because I had to really um, adjust to a lot of situations 
all the time. And that uh, was another running theme in my life, always having to be able to be comfortable where I am, no matter what's going on around me and no matter who I am in that situation, whether it be from a, a gender perspective, race, class, um, just always having to be like, yo, where is the baseline for me in this situation? Um, and that's a very, I think that's a very New York thing. I think that's actually a, a very Toronto thing too. Um, Toronto has that kind of like multi-layer um, affection to it. So yeah, I grew up in New York um, in, a, in a pretty regular house by most measures um, with some irregular things going on as most homes do. Um, but at some point uh, while I was in high school, um, graduated, decided to you know take the show on the road and I went to university. I went to the University of Maryland uh, at College Park and went down there to just really find myself. Uh, went there to really, for the first time, become a man. Um, and that was a very interesting experience going to college, going to university. I think, you know, moving out of your home creates situations that force you to grow up. Hmm. And um, that was one of the things that happened while I was in school. Um, got into the radio business while I was in school, um, just kind of haphazardly. Actually, I went to a, uh, uh, I was working as a, as a as a waiter at Dave and Buster's restaurant in Maryland, and you know, at the time, I grew up in a very musical household. Yeah. Always been a DJ. My father was a very big record uh, and music man. He had a sound system in the house. Every Sunday was just like booming Gregory Isaacson, you know, Barrington Levy, Bob Marley, Reggae Sunsplash on TV, Bob Marley posters on the wall, like, you know, proper a vibe. Jamaican vibes. Yeah. Um, so I just grew up knowing, knowing that, you know, music is part of what we do. Eventually I got into music as a, like a DJ just with my friends, DJing house parties, DJing basement parties, and actually turned it into somewhat of a business while I was in school. Um, just DJing parties with people and uh, promoting parties and uh, found out while I was working at this restaurant that uh, the radio station, local radio station in Washington, D.C. was doing um, a party. <laughs> I'm going to age myself real quick, but they were doing a premiere party for this show called The Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and they were Listen, I'm guilty. I've seen that yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, I never saw it before, but it was a brand new radio station. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to run up in that party and see what's popping. Spoke to the promotions director. Shout out to Mr. David Lee. And I was like, yo, you guys hiring for anything? He was like, absolutely. We're looking for people for the street team. And I was like, I need that. I want to be up in that. And, you know, I was typical Jamaican. Yo, I have tree jobs, you know, like <laughs> all the work. I had like four jobs. Yeah. Like, Let me put another one under my belt. But once I got into the radio station, Hot 99.5 in D.C., I realized that there were some things about me just naturally that um, lent uh, to probably being good at this. Mm. I've skipped a lot of stuff about my life, and I feel like I'm. Am I? Am I blabbing? No, no. This is listen. This is your you. time. Yeah. You know, I skipped some really big chapters, and it's hard to talk about yourself because you know what do you focus on? Mm -hmm. You know, when what I was. What was a, the most impactful one? Like, I grew up as a child actor. You know, okay. when I was growing up, um, I was from a very young age. Just, um, it's kind of like the New York thing to do. Like. You know, if you think your kid has like an ounce of talent, you take him to the city and mm -hmm. start just sending them on auditions and try to see if they can book something. Yeah. So when I got to college, I said, I could take all these elements of who I am and bring them into this radio situation and probably be really decent at it. Yeah. And it, it was a very natural fit for me. Just seems like you found the right outlet to, to bring it all together. It It's, it's, uh, it's amazing, <laughs> to be honest with you, because it wasn't my plan. Mm. 
And there, at no point did I said, yo, I'm going to be a radio host. <laughs> um, I just just kept running with things that felt good. Yeah. And, you know, when I got to that radio station and they hired me to be on the street team, it felt good. Hmm. You know, be able to get in that truck and, you know, run around D.C. and, you know, hand out stickers and CDs and keychains. And then every now and then to be able to get on a microphone and rock a, a party or rock a before a concert. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, I reached out to one of the bosses. I said, yo, I think I could be on air. Mm -hmm. He paired me up with uh, one of the other street teamers and made us like a two-man duo called the Hot Boys. <laughs> it was on the station called Hot 995. So we kind of were like made a thing out of it. Yeah. And we did a two-man weekend show. And eventually, I just made the decision while I was in school. I was like, this is actually the direction I'm going to go in. So I made a really interesting play. I said, all right, um, right now I'm doing a major in school that really I'm not interested. What was it? Uh, it was like psychology. Okay. Wasn't interested in what, I don't even know why I did that. But I said- People who don't know what they want to do take psychology. I think so, yeah. I think my mom did psychology. So at some point I said, let me just take some classes that I kind of like, you know, just kind of finish up. But I'm, I'm putting all the cards on this radio thing because I think it's going to work. So I changed my major to um, Afro-American studies with a, a, a concentration in public policy and, and yeah. blacks of, uh, excuse me, African civilization. And I just I just wanted to learn about myself. Yeah. And I'm going to just do that while I'm in school. And I'm, you know, I'm going to take a couple courses just for me, not necessarily for a degree, but just for me. And then I'm going, I'm putting all the cards on this radio thing. I didn't really tell anybody I was doing that because I think... Would you have had support from your family? I don't think so, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, you know, as a black man, um, you're, you, we're pumped in our heads. Like, if you don't have a degree, they're going to judge you. Like, you're going to look like you don't really have anything. Like, what do you have to your name? Um, I was scary, you know? That was a very scary thing for me. But at the same time, I don't know, just something about me i follow good vibes hmm. i know it sounds corny no not at all but i follow what feels natural yeah almost like that flow state but like on a life's life uh kind of uh scale yeah like being at that radio station i could actually see what could happen for me and and that was very very uh, enticing for me i was like i could see where this could go yeah. i could be one of these guys who are you know doing afternoon drive morning drive I could easily see myself doing that. I said, so let me just stick with this and I think the doors will open or I can open the doors. And that's what I did. Mm. So eventually I got my first full-time job at a station in Cleveland, Ohio called 96.5 KISS FM. I was doing a, a night show there. Um, I had never been to Cleveland, Ohio, didn't know anything about that place at all, but I had a great time there, discovered a lot of things about myself and how to do radio, did a wild night show called In the Crib with Jay Nice. Um, it was it was fun. It was fun. And uh, a year into my stay there, my boss told me that he was getting a transfer to a, a radio station in Miami. Mm -hmm. uh, and he asked me, hey, would you like to come with? I was like, of course. <laughs> Let's go to Miami. No disrespect to Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, I, crazy. I, it's funny. Hey, me it's and LeBron, LeBron and myself, at this, it was the same time LeBron took his talents to South Beach. Oh, really? Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah. Except with a, a little... You were in the back of that same telecast. <laughs> smaller press conference. Um, but yeah, right around the same time LeBron went down there, I went down to also, and uh, Miami was a vibe. I was doing the night show on a station called Y100 there. Really big, legendary um, radio institution in Miami. Um, 
And then I really started spreading my wings because I started doing like some syndicated shows and I, I was doing a morning show for this station in the Cayman Islands. Um, I was doing that remotely and kind of actually going back and forth to the Cayman Islands while I was in Miami to do work for them and, and mm. built some really good connections down there and and uh, built a network. Actually was like living there for a while. Um, so how'd you go from Miami to Toronto? From Miami, I was in Miami for about three and a half, maybe four years. Okay. And I got a job in Chicago. Um, but at the end of the 10 years there, um, came another crossroads. And at some point, uh, we decided to go our separate ways. And, mm. um, you know, I spoke to my, my radio agent. We said, you know, what markets do really um, speak to you? And I kind of just tossed out some cities that really just felt like they they made sense to me. I said, you know, obviously I'm from New York, so New York will always um, make sense for me. I said, I wouldn't mind working in London, England. I was like, there's something about that place. You know, I have a lot of family there. Um, it's a vibe. So if you know anything going on out there, if they're um, open to Americans. And I said, also Toronto. You know, Toronto is a, a really cool place. I mean, I drive up for Carabana, which I <laughs> call. a good time. Yeah. I was like, you know, I feel like the city of Toronto throws me a birthday party every year called Carabana because it's on my birthday weekend. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, eventually... Uh, he said, you know what? There is a station up there that is um, doing some things. We'll see if uh, we connect. And we connected, and the rest is history. Wow. What a, yes. what a ride. What a yeah. journey. Bro. All, uh, over the, all over the U.S. pretty much. And then... Yeah. And then yeah. Here. None of it planned, by the way, either. <laughs> what was, you, you said one of the things that you said that I thought was fascinating was along every step of this journey, you discovered something about yourself. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest takeaway? If there was one thing, what was that biggest takeaway from all of these steps? Um, if you allow yourself to be open to experiences, you'll make some ex- ex- some really profound discoveries. Um, you know, everyone's journey is different. Some people stay in the same place, some right. pe- you know, from a location standpoint, but maybe they move within their space and and reinvent themselves in different ways. I traveled the country and, you know, each stop in these different cities and in these different situations, I became not a different person, but I added to myself, you know, um, having to adjust to, you know, it's funny when people in Canada talk about the United States, it, I, I really hope people understand that that country is like a hundred different countries in one. Mm. You can't really put a finger on what the U.S. is like Miami is nothing like Cleveland. Cleveland is nothing like New York or DC is nothing like New York, even though it's only four hours away. Baltimore and DC, not even an hour apart, they're like different countries. Mm. The accent changes from Baltimore to DC in that 45 minute drive. The Mm. clothing changes, the music change, like the local music, there's like two different music scenes that are like, you know, the the Baltimore house scene and the DC go-go scene are just like worlds apart. And I think my experience traveling to all these different cities and having to be a voice in those cities from out of town helped me to really accept people and um, just accept myself and be honest and also kind of just jump in and enjoy things that Mm. were not necessarily my own, but learn how to kind of communicate with people on a a more personal level rather than, you know, some things that we may or may not have in common. Interesting. Yeah. And the component of you know, like being here in Toronto now, is there something that you've noticed about Toronto that's not anywhere else in the U.S.? Yes. Um, The culture, I think Americans have a 
a false sense of what Canada is. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, right? <laughs> to, say to, say, the to say the least. Um, you know, Americans tend to think of Canada as like the 51st state. Like it's just that other place up there that we don't really know a whole lot about. But from a cultural standpoint, I think the average American doesn't have a really good grasp on what's going on up here. Yeah. For example, you know, just as a black person, you know, in America, you call yourself an African-American and there is an African-American culture. But like some Americans kind of scratch, scratch their head and we'd be like, there are no African-Americans in Canada because right. they're not American. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, they're Caribbean. They're maybe African. But the African-American culture, unless you're talking about places like Nova Scotia, where you have these kind of, you know, just on that East Coast, these black cultures from the migratory pattern up through the US from what I understand and I'm still learning. You know, it's a very different type of black person here in Toronto, right. which is actually a lot more like me as a person because I'm Caribbean. Right. Um, but when you talk about black folks in, in the US, like the culture is very different because you know, you're talking about like American black American culture, which is like Southern roots mm -hmm. with, you know, African uh, influences and, and background. It's it's something you can't really put your finger on, but once you once you're here, you're like, oh yeah, that's what's not here. Yeah. It's, you know, that's a difference. That's a that's a, a cultural difference. Um, another thing about Toronto or you know Canada, uh, I mean America is like little Latino land. You know, like everyone is <laughs> speaking Spanish, whereas here it's uh it's more of like the fr French is the second or the uh, the second yeah. second, second language second, second national language, yeah. Yeah. but in America that's Spanish. So like. Yeah. You know. Is it actually like? Is it officially the second national language? I don't think it's officially, but it might as well be. Right. Like it's the second most spoken. It language. might actually be the most spoken at some point now too. Okay. Just based on the numbers. Yeah. But I mean, Spanish is everywhere, yeah. and like especially in some of these, I was gonna say coastal cities, but not nah, like even in the Midwest and the South, you got like Latinos from Mexico, Puerto Rico, um, Dominican Republic. You just name all the countries, and like a lot of people in the U.S. from these places. So you got that Latin background of culture that's always kind of a running thread in America where you you don't see it as much here even though they're here hmm. um it's not as present um and you, once again it's just a different country yeah you know um so many things <laughs> one of the things about Canadian culture that I had to really grapple with was the legacy of colonialism okay that was a tough one for me still is actually yeah um why well because of, of what I studied you know, in school, you know, being a person who studied in detail, not that I have all the information like off the top, but like when you really study in detail the effects of British colonialism on many groups, mm. um, my studies were specifically African American and people of the diaspora. But when you bring that out to like, you know, um, people of indigenous backgrounds, um, when you bring that out to the Asian countries, it really, I mean, when you when you read it and when you study it, it doesn't look good. Mm. It's actually pretty horrific. Yeah. Uh, and then you see kind of the, you know, where we all are as a result of that. And I didn't think about coming here to a country that, you know, where the money, there's a queen on the money, crowns on all the road signs. And, you know, I like to say I was woke before woke was a thing <laughs> because I'm like <laughs> educationally woke. Like I actually study that stuff yeah. you know, to tell a bad joke. But to be honest with you, that whole thing kind of really rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'm up in this. I'm here for this. Like, I'm participating, you know, in this. And You're part of the system now. I'm, yeah. 
I mean, we're all part of some sort of system yeah, at yeah. the end of the day, right? You know, America is a, a different system. Yeah. But that was something I didn't really calculate. I'm, I'm curious, do you, we've talked a little bit even before we started recording about mental health and men's health and, and, and that stuff. It seems, let me, how do I phrase this? Is there the same awareness or normalization of those topics for men in the U.S. as there is seems to be growing here? From from what you can recall from all your different stops? No, I'm going to say no. I'm going to also say that it's just like the timing of my moves actually have timed out with like a lot of really... Um, big changes in the space we're talking about. So I arrived in Canada really when a lot of these discussions were becoming top line discussions and they weren't when I was, you know, living in the United States. Um, mental health in, in men's spaces was not really a, a very big conversation because it just kind of didn't, it, it wasn't part of the masculinity package. You know, when you think about, Cultures that I've grown up in, specifically like hip hop culture or even like um, West Indian Jamaican culture or even just American culture, laying on a couch and that's cliche, but sitting down and talking to a therapist, not really part of the daily routine or even monthly routine for people in those spaces and not even something that, you know, I mean, you all you have to do is listen to a song and you can hear what peep what's on people's mind and going to see my therapist is not part yeah. of many hit songs. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, but I think that has all ch really changed on a dime. It's really interesting to see that mental health. And I think what's pushed that forward is some of the big, big news stories in the United States on violence and, um, gun violence specifically. I would say even generational um, traumas as it pertains to, you know, culture and, and things that we are, are, are passing down to our kids. It begs the question, like, how do we undo this? Like, how do we fix this? And it becomes a mental health discussion. So that that has been pushed way to the top of a discussion, I think, because of the, the world events. Yeah. How important it is that to you? Because I know you also, you're big on environment too right yeah big on environment big you know i think it all it all plays there's so, there's so, like let's think there's so many causes that you can fight for right and you can't fight for them all mm -hmm. all the so you have to really pick what you want to fight for and it's like so it's it's harder to i guess people more people are just shifting towards this because a lot of the other a lot of the other issues stem from this too yeah and i think if people are realizing that got to go back another layer like you know you got to go back okay it's not just yes there's gun violence but part of it's because why are they so upset yeah so it's like okay let's go let's go back so it's like we're still still fighting for the obviously for gun violence but it's also go back and then thinking okay what's going on with them right and i think that's why this becomes more of a top of top of i guess top level issue i mean when you talk about you know gun violence you talk about people you know from disenfranchised communities um people with you know maybe a history of gang violence in their homes, in their lives, in their circle. Like, when do they get to go to a park and just chill? Like, yeah, go to yeah. a, like, climb up a mountain and just look out on the world. Yeah. Like, you live in a concrete jungle. When do you get that decompression time? So that's the environmental part of it. Mm. You know, are you breathing clean air? Are you eating fresh food that actually brings the nutrients to your body to kind of help nourish your brain 
And how long have you been deprived of those nutrients? You know, from a youth. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, like if you grow up in that in that environment and you're ingrained in that for so long, it, the, it messes with you. Uh, just the, you know, the layers and the the things, the, the effects on your your person, physically and mentally, are incredible. Yeah. You know, I you have people that live in these food deserts. You know, in the hoods and in 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 Canada and in in the U.S. And it's like. How are these kids' brains developing? You know, and then you see that we're all these kids are on these these ADHD medicines or these these they have these disorders that like have like these weren't even a thing when we were kids. Yeah, they weren't even. I mean, there were kids that you knew had some kind of issue, but there's been an explosion in just the type of issues that people are having. Then you got bring in social media and the internet into all that. Yeah, which is just like a steroids on top of everything yeah compounded um societal factors yeah. do you think do you think that it's that there's more of these issues now or just more being i guess recorded people realizing what these things are just like it's not necessarily more racism going on it's just people just watching it more we're, we're, able, we're sorry we're being able to see it because everybody has a phone so it's not like a lot of these things are not new mm-hmm. it's like oh this just ha- this is a fir- like so it might be the first time you might have heard of it as mm-hmm. but it's People like, oh, like all this racism is it's it's rising. It's not really rising. It's just being able to see it more. Right? I think it depends on how you look at it. I, th- I think it could be both actually. Yeah. Like you know, you know, growing up, you might see racism. You know, when you're walking around in your neighborhood or when you go to another neighborhood, but now you can open your phone and see, see in the everywhere. tweets and the retweets and the comments, you can now see more racism on your phone. Mm-hmm. So whereas you might have just seen it here physically, you get the digital racism, and then you get. You know this kind of residual effect where it just becomes part of your constant um psyche yeah it's all you're being fed like if you turn on the news that's all you're seeing yeah, like you're getting that and you're just getting a whole bunch of bad news and then if you go into the comment sections it's where you know like the keyboard warriors come out to play and they just it's just negative after negative comments and it's it's disgusting it's think terrible. about what that does to the mentality of the average person like we are all really flooded with a lot of negative stuff like from the moment we wake up Whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, that was not the case. Um, Like from the moment you wake up, you're scrolling past some of the most negative, like really toxic comments and and language. Yeah. Before you have breakfast. Yeah. So how do we, how do we change that? If you had a a magic wand and can, can do something about it. What's the, what's the solution in your mind? If there is one. I think the solution is um, us as individuals changing our priorities. You know, I talk about like, even myself, I'm guilty of waking up and first thing I do is grab my phone mm. and I open up those apps and I see what happened overnight while I was asleep. And is that really necessary? It's nothing. It's nothing. You, you never miss nothing. You never miss anything. Nah. Is that necessary? You know, it's about creating boundaries for yourself saying, all right, I'm not going to be blind to issues, but I'm not going to let this into my space until this moment, this time. This time when I wake up, from the time I wake up to the, the moment I, I start my work or whatever it is, this is a moment that calls for different stimulus. I need to have a good meal. I need to maybe do an affirmation in the morning. I need to say some positive things to myself. I need to, you know, maybe talk to my family. And I just need to start my day differently. I think there's a lot of individual um, things that we can do that would make, you know, leaps and bounds changes in our mental health. Why is the affirmation and self-talk so important? Because we already know 
I mean, we all have the negative talk already. Hmm. I say a, a, a rack of negative things to myself and I didn't even realize it until I talked to a therapist. Mm -hmm. Like really negative conversations with myself that become like self-fulfilling prophecies. Oh, they don't like me. Oh, th these people don't fuck with me. Mm -hmm. Oh man, oh, they, they And then all of a sudden, no one said that to me. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're thinking, that just not <laughs> saying it because yeah, yeah, and you started believing it. Wh who said that to me? Yeah. I said it to me, but then I start operating that place Oh, she don't appreciate me. I I mean, did I give her a chance to appreciate, you know, right, like, yeah. or, you know, my boss is overlooking me. I, did they actually say that? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's so important to have positive conversations with you because you've got to give at least yourself a chance, a fighting chance yeah. to be in a positive space. Yeah, there's enough negativity around us that if you're doing it to yourself, you're, you're, you're done like there's no way you can fight your own battle and then go out there and then deal with all the other negativity you're already starting off at a disadvantage yeah and it's very easy to do that it's very easy to do that because you know like we already recognize it's hard to find positivity um all the time yeah especially with you know for ourselves so it does start with yourself like it sounds so corny but you actually have to love yourself it's not corny at all I know, but when you say things like that, that it sounds like a, a meme a or something, yeah. right? <laughs> and, that, and that's why it's like it's getting to that point where it's like we gotta, so it doesn't sound corny anymore. Yeah. Like so, it sounds. I think even this, what we're trying to do is like make that, make that shit sound cool. Like you know, make like you know, yeah, what you do, yeah, I'm talking to boys about some shit, like talking about emotions. And yeah. Like, oh, like you know, you want it to be like that's like that is something that we do. That is something that is cool. That's something that looked upon and like, yo, like you know, like you get gratitude opposed to like that's what you did. Like you don't want to have that negative even on that, right? Like, oh, you guys just talk about emotions all day. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and it's because of that, it's it's just making that shift of making it, so you don't have to say it sounds corny or like sounds cliche. Like all like, the same thing, all these cliches are cliches because on the, on the root of it, it it's real. It's real. Yeah. It's real. And it, and it's, and it's so stupid, I guess. Like, you know, you think about it, like, yeah, like, you know, always love yourself or make sure you, you, you take care of yourself first. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's, it's not anything that nobody doesn't know. Yeah. But it's just, because some people are like are doubting you and you're doubting yourself so much that it's just nice to hear it being said yeah right and if people say it enough out loud you start like maybe okay if that's all you're hearing that's yeah. how you're gonna start saying to yourself as well right with the news that's why like i don't watch i don't know how you watch because you must get a lot of news given to you that you have to look at um n the misconception with radar i'll clear it up for yeah. you right now a lot of people think people just give us stuff to talk about but really no one does i'm okay. me and my my partners are completely in control of our content okay like i know people think like man That's the machine's cool. controlling y'all nah they're really not mm -hmm. like so you we, got the freedom the, the we walk in, we yeah. walk into that room and we know what our goals are from a rating standpoint we know what audience we're looking for um you know from a, a rating standpoint and we we decide our content strategy and we say people in these demographics would like to talk about we think they would like to talk about these topics in this way okay and that's up to us and that that's one of the really cool things about that's my job um, another thing is just that you know with content you, you have to be plugged in unfortunately yes, yeah, yeah. you know you you can't you know you want to be a thought leader and you want to be at least you know that our job as broadcasters is to bring up topics that people may, may not have might not have time to dive into because we're their source mm -hmm. you know so I I've got to be kind of uh, ahead of the time if you will on a, on a lot of stories and and things that are happening which 
lends to a lot of the negativity as well. Mm-hmm. But we talk a lot about a lot of positive things too. You know, one yeah. of our content strategies is just humor. You know, what's funny? What what makes people laugh? Like what makes people feel good and crack a smile? Like just such a nice break mm-hmm. from yeah. all the crap. Yeah, it's just to hear something that makes you laugh because then you just as much as people want to tell other people the bad shit they heard, mm-hmm. they also want to tell them about the funny stuff they. One hundred percent. You know. Um, I, I equate the radio show to like a fast food restaurant. Like, you know, you don't go to uh, McDonald's for, well, in America, you don't go to McDonald's for pizza. <laughs> From what I understand, you did here at some point. Point B. had it for a little bit. I know, the little, the, yeah. that, that moment. And I heard it was good too. I never had it. I never had it, but I heard it was good. I didn't good. even know we had it. Yeah. In, in America, that would be like sacrilegious. <laughs> like, when was McDonald's selling pizza? <laughs> never. Point being is you go to different outlets and different places for a different product. And yeah. the, the product we really sell is, um, current events pop culture and fun okay. and, and that's that's our brand that's what we do yeah. um that's what people come to us for we will touch on topics that are you know heavy or you know maybe even not um you know not the most positive or light topics when when we need to when it's like stuff that's really occupied the the focus of our our, our audience but we know what our audience comes to to us for and yeah. we, you know that's that's what we focus on and what happens on the days where that's not working for you. You get up and you just don't want to do it. Man, you have no idea. What time do you start, do you start work? Uh, our show starts at 5 a.m. What time do you get there? Uh, I get there a little bit before 5. Okay. Yeah, it's and early. yeah, it's, it's very early. It, and it's like, it's, um, it's tough. It's yeah. tough. Like, start, you know, right on. Um, you got to be up and like, up. Yeah. Up, up. <laughs> not just... Awake and up, but like you gotta be up because you've already left your house and ready to go, ready to go, ready fine. to go. Yeah. I mean, there's no ramp up. It's like start. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's hard. It's it. I'm not gonna lie. It is hard for everybody. You know, we're humans, and there are certain days and somebody is just feeling like, ah, you know, once that mic goes on, you might not hear it. You might hear if you know us very well. You know, oh, he sounds a little tired, or maybe he's a little, you know, cranky, or whatever. But more or less, when when it's showtime, it's showtime. Um, but really just like any other job i think that's part of the uh that's part of what's given to us like we know when it's time to talk into that microphone you got to speak about this topic this way there are there are times where you could just be really honest about how you're feeling man rough morning this morning that's the beautiful thing about morning radio like if you're having a rough morning chances are someone else's as well (laughs) so you can you can say that yeah but for us we don't really want to live in that place because what people come to us for is the pick me up. Yes. Um, so um, there's a relatability factor where we relate and say, yeah, I'm feeling just like you, but guess what? I've got the secret sauce for you. I'm gonna give you that positive, um, happy vibe, and we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna play some games, talk some foolishness. Yeah. It also brings you up yourself though too. It really does. Yeah. Some of the best days, some of the best moments of my life are those hours in the studio, mm. like of my day, even though I'm tired and, you know, when I go home, I. I kind of turn into a different person, like, <laughs> like crash, don't want to talk to anybody, you know, ignoring phone calls. But I, I do a lot of my showmanship and communication in that studio. That's when it's time to do it the, the most. Yeah. Yeah. From yeah. a work standpoint, that is. So to go back to my question, though, on the days where you wake up and you don't want to do it. Yeah. What are you doing to get yourself? <sighs> to be quite honest with you, I don't ever not want to do it. Okay. This morning... This morning, I woke up feeling horrible. Um, the night before, I, I I cooked some fish, 
and I maybe I didn't cook it right or maybe something was wrong with the fish, but I ended up in the toilet, like my face in the toilet three times overnight. Oh, geez. Yeah. So, um, needless to say, it interrupted my sleep. Yeah. And I woke up and I was like, I haven't slept. It's four o'clock. I got to go to work. Am I going to call out? No. <laughs> so I'm going to go to work feeling half nauseous and, and not well rested. And this morning was that morning when I got to work. I was just like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Yeah. But, you know, uh, I have a responsibility to my my my, my co-hosts, uh, the people in the room. I have a responsibility to them to not mail it in. Yeah. And I, I feel if they looking at me like, yo, what are you doing in here today? Like that makes me feel a way, you know, if you know, and I just think about like how many people are listening to a station like are so many people like if they're hearing some kind of weird vibe from me, that makes me feel a way like mm -hmm. I, I actually value how they feel about the show. So that. Well, I remember my morning commutes across the city of Toronto, an hour mm -hmm. stuck on the 401 and I'd have the radio on and that voice the the tone the positivity the energy that was the difference between having what was already a crappy morning because you're on the go, you're on the 401 stuck to you know what okay I'm, I'm positive reinforcement so by the time you get to work you're you're feeling okay you're ready to go and shout out to the morning 401 crew you know i've been doing morning radio for like over 20 years right now I don't know what it's like to be in one of them crazy commutes in the morning, but it looks terrible. It's horrible. I, I've, it's, I don't know much of it either. I've worked restaurants. I've, my schedule's always been opposite. And it does look terrible. It looks, okay, we'll take it from experience. It's it's life-sucking. It's man. My biggest, you know, a lot of people say the pandemic impacted their lives in a lot of negative ways, and that's very true for a lot of people. Yeah. But going from being in an office to remote to getting that hour back in the morning and in the afternoon is so liberating wow because that hour like i turned from radio to podcasts to trying to, to to keep my mind going but it it you're done by the time you get home you have no energy for anything else i mean do you, that's many many hours of your life yep. yes yeah so, i mean do you at some point just write it off and be like you know it is it's whatever like, a lot of or, people do or, or does it get frustrating a lot of, like my father has been driving across the 401 to get to his job ever since he came to canada 30 years ago and he like he would tell me he's just like what are you gonna do there's no other routes to get to where i need to get to and if i were to do that then it would take me even longer he puts on the radio he listens to sports radio in the morning and mm -hmm. That's that was it, right? But that's the reality for so many people, and we, that we, affects their mental health so many oh ways. Oh my goodness, tremendously! Because by the time you get to work, you've now had an hour sitting in traffic. You're frustrated. You're tired. You're you're barely moving. You move an inch every few minutes. You go through a full working day. That comes with its stressors, and then I'm after all of that, now you got to think to yourself, oh, now I have another hour to get back home. You get home. Let's say you have kids, you've got no energy. Let's say you have a hobby, you've got no energy. That's it. Your day's done. You know, when I think about it like that, it really just even heightens my responsibility as a as, a, as a radio going. man. Like, and we've you know during the pandemic, you know, we got those messages from people that were like, "Yo, your show." And sometimes I didn't even really, I don't say take it seriously, but I didn't understand the impact. People were like writing us and be like, "Yo, your show got me through this pandemic," like. The little games and the little foolishness and the quirky topics and all the little laughs that you guys were yeah. having were actually the best part of my day because of the stress of this pandemic. Yeah. 
And um, that was that was eye opening for us because we worked through the entire pandemic. Like yeah. the show didn't stop. You worked from home or you still I, I worked studio? from home for a couple of weeks. Okay. And then we had made the decision that um, I would go into the studio and the rest of the show would work remotely. Okay. So for a while I was there just with the producer yeah. solo and then, you know, we do the show kind of a mix of remote and in person. Yeah. But I mean, morning radio, um, really helped a lot of people. I got I got the emails, I got the text messages. Like morning radio was like a, a lifesaver for many, many people. Yeah, honestly, the last two and a half, three years under you know the various lockdowns and the stressors of people losing their jobs and financial security and all that, I think it really amplified what was already laying there beneath the surface. Like a lot of, we've talked about this so many times, a lot of men lost a lot of their distractions and had to really take a hard look at themselves in the mirror. They did not like what they saw. Well, well, the pandemic happened for like at a really kind of, if I could speak loosely, like fucked up part of my life. Okay. Like the pandemic hit right as I moved to a new country, right as, um, you know, my partner and I had a baby. Okay. I got a new job. Um, we were, uh, I bought a house and I was renovating it. And like, then the pandemic happened and it just like, it was, I mean, I know everyone had a rough pandemic, but I had an extra rough pandemic, mm-hmm. like started this new job, was living in a construction site in this new relationship with this new child in this new country, going into work, talking to these new people, not feeling good about anything in life right now and having to actually be a source of positivity. Yeah. It was uh, it, it was stressful, and I mean, learning how to be a, a father during the pandemic, like I learned, like it was just mind blowing. What have you learned since about being a father? Um, I learned that if you start from a loving place, the answers come to you pretty easily. Um, I grew up in a two parent household, but at at some point my dad was not present anymore. So I didn't really have those lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have that, you know, person at crucial points in my life to kind of teach me how to, you know, this is what fatherhood looks like. This is what, you know, positive male role model type of, you know, I just, a lot of the conversations, I never got to ask anybody those things at all. It's just all things I had to kind of piecemeal from experiences in my life. And, you know, by the time my son came around, it, I wasn't ready for it. Hmm. It wasn't even part of, uh, like a calculated decision. It was just like, this is your new life now. I'm like, what? Um, and I resented it to be honest with you. I was, uh, resistant to it. And, uh, even, uh, it just was hard. It was really hard because, you know, who I'd known myself to be for so many years just dramatically changed. Like in one second, once this person came to the world who had the most lovely face. And when I remember seeing him the day he was born, I was just like, look at that face. But everything changed that day. It was like, all right, now everything you do from this point on, this comes first. And I was not mentally ready for that at all. Can you ever really mentally be ready for a child? Isn't there a saying where, you know, you're never actually ready? 
you're never actually ready for it. I'd like to think that, you know, there are these families out there that of people who are like, yeah, when you have your kid and you have your son, like, I hope there are families out there having those conversations. Mine definitely did not. <laughs> uh, but I would like to think so. But there's an intangible part to it for sure. Mm. Like, they don't even, like, you're at the hospital with this baby, and when it's time to leave, they just l- they don't give you no, like, bruh, nothing. There's no instruction booklet. There's no nothing, bro. Like, fam, it was the weirdest thing. That was strange. He's like, you're just going to, there's nothing? There's nothing else? Like, That's right. what am I supposed to do with this yeah. thing? You spend a couple days in the hospital, you know, she's hooked up to all this stuff. The kids over the here are this, you're sitting between the two of them like this. And at some point, they're like, all right, discharge day. And they go, here's some formula, here's some diapers, good luck. <laughs> Yo, it was at. I remember the day we sat in that car. It was me, my girl, her mom's, her brother. We sat. We put him in. The, no one told us how to put together the car seat. Oh, and we sat there and like we just took. We all took like a beat and we we're like, <sighs> he's crying his ass off. She's talking about this pain and she needed to go get her painkillers. And we're just like, so this is the new life. Yeah one second and there's no instruction booklet but you you know you get it you know you start yeah. to develop a rhythm and uh and patterns and you see patterns and it just becomes the new life but it is a it is a crash course yeah i can imagine yeah so what lessons what's the most important lesson that you want to share with your son i honestly have been waiting for this moment for a very long time at some point in my life um, this is right around when I left home and I went off to college and, you know, really heavy into like women and dating and try to get shorty's numbers and trying mm-hmm. to be that fly dude on campus and, you know, trying to really um, measure my self-worth with how successful I'm doing in the dating field. And, you know, that really was part of what was going on with me. And I now know that through therapy. <clears throat> and at some point, when I had to deconstruct all of the major mistakes I made, big mistakes with women, I really realized that like, you know, I'm responsible and I take responsibility, but the other component is I never had a single conversation with anyone about this stuff. Yeah, Like no discussion. Mm. I'm learning from the knuckleheads from my block, the dudes in my dorm, cats I'm running around in the street with, and this is where I learned what I'm supposed to be doing with these relationships with with women and I just you know my mom is present but at some point for a lot of for me at least I can't speak for all men but for me that really wasn't the energy I really wanted to have those discussions it's with. different it's different right yeah, it's different because you look at your mom and you go well obviously that's just mom being mom saying what moms say but sometimes what you really want is that male role model just to be like listen this is how you behave this is how you treat a woman. This is what you don't do. That kind of stuff. I had like that's none also, of that. That's also depending. You're assuming that that male figure is going to tell you that. No, but that's what I mean. Is that a lot mm-hmm. of men? I think need that. Yeah. Because like me, like my mom wasn't as my dad raised me. Okay. Right? So when I'd go, I wouldn't. I would get advice. Yeah. But it would be it wouldn't be advice like that. Mm. Right. Be, this is how you get away with this. Yeah. You know, like this 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 is how you this is how you move this is how you beat the this, system. Yeah, this yeah. is how you move the system to make them think that this is this and like you know you can still get away scot free like stuff like that, right? Yeah. So it's like then that starts when resonate in that that runs cuz it's the same thing that you've been taught, right? And at some point I realized when I started making a lot of big mistakes 
hurting people's feelings, like, you know, affecting people's lives. And I was getting in these situations with women specifically where I was just like, why can't I get this right? Like, why am I in these dramatic situations? Yeah. I realized I was like, yo, because I just really never discussed this with anybody. Like things like how to break up with somebody. Yeah. That's yo, we're terrible at that. Bruh, like I think more men need to have a discuss like there is I've never had a discussion with a man about like, yo, if you're just not in it anymore in this relationship, how do you start that conversation to mm. tell someone that, you know, I think I I wanna end this. And I got into many situations where I was deathly afraid of it. And I had to deconstruct that in therapy, you know, learning that that was probably part of upbringing and, you know, my relationship with my parents. But realizing that I had a real fear, a paralyzing fear of breaking up a relationship. And it led me to make worse choices than just yeah. the breakup in this. In, mm-hmm. in, in, you, I could it ends eat. up worse. It ends up worse because you're not being honest to yourself yeah. and to the person involved. Yeah. And then you're longing out the ting longer than it needs to be. And then you hurt you hurt the person, and then hurt person hurt people hurt people, and you, just a cycle. Wasting people's time, staying in relationships I had no business being in. Yeah. And I just realized that, like, I just never even discussed with anybody, even with your man's them. You're like, you know, yeah, bro, I need to end this. Like, how do I get out of this? Like, how do I how do I end this relationship? How? Never had that conversation. And I think more men. I think there's a lot of us that make bad choices, cheating, and whatever it is. In relationships and a lot of us are just scared to be honest about how we feel about the relationship 100%. Yeah. and i think we people don't talk about that enough like a lot of men don't know how to express where they are in a relationship checking in with your partner being like yo i'm at a point right now where i'm not feeling this maybe from a mental sexual whatever standpoint and we need to discuss it it could go just like that. And there was, for me, like a level of fear in that conversation that I just never approached and realized I had made a lot of mistakes because I didn't know how to do that. Yeah, it's, it's this this concept for a lot of men, I find we, we tend to struggle, whether it's we don't want to have a difficult conversation with somebody that we may genuinely care about, but we just are not, we don't romantically care for them anymore, yeah. right? But because you still care for them as a person, you don't want to hurt them. And so sometimes you don't say anything. And then ultimately what a lot of guys seem to do is they'll behave in a different way in the hopes that the person will break up with them. I know. And it's such a such a shitty way to do it because ultimately you end up ruining a friendship, a relationship. You create this sort of loop that you're now in every time you're in another relationship you're like well it worked the last time so i'll do it again right now you're just leaving a trail of broken hearts and those broken hearts go and break other hearts and it's just a a cycle yeah to answer your earlier question so like in talking to my own son i've actually at some point realized that like i cannot wait to have these conversations with him and be like listen when you get into these relationships with your partner or partners or whatever it is um you need to check in with them and give them the space to let you know how they're actually feeling and also create the space where you can let them know how you're actually feeling and discuss if there is a difference there, how we mitigate and how we, you know, make a comfortable exit or whatever that may be. Or maybe just talk about solutions, hmm. but just those really um, uh, just productive ways of discussing things with somebody of course emotions get involved and that's hard yeah it's also it's a lot easier 
when you have those like, check-ins. So then it's like, so you don't get that. But you also, you don't want to get that response of, I had no idea, right? So it's like, well, if you have those regular things, okay, you'll know, okay, well, where are we this week, this month, whatever the, whatever the check-in date would be. Okay, then check back later. Okay, where are we here? Like, are we still feeling the same way? And then regularly through, so when you get something, it's only, okay, we're slowly, I'm slowly losing this. So, and at this point, it's not a, oh, this is a make or break thing. But like, if you don't talk about it, when you start to slowly lose it, then now you're sitting all the way over down here. And it's like, yeah. well, now I've been feeling this way for months. But like, you're only saying now, so like the other person might be like, oh, well, this is so new to me. How can I change this? And at this point, you've thought, well, there's it's nothing you can change. It, it, this has been going on for so long. It but, hits so much harder at that point, yeah. right? Um, I think, you know, I, I just wish we as men really had those discussions more. A lot of men, I, th- I feel like in my head, so many dramatic relationship situations could be could have been avoided 100%. If people have had just some really good discussion. And not discussion. just romantic with yeah. your family, with your friends. And it's not it's not always the I don't want to. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like you literally don't know how to. Yeah. Because I've never been taught how to or even not even taught or even seen it. Some yeah. like, you know, people learn different ways. I've never seen this situation being resolved in this way. Like even when you say how to break up, it's like where do you see how to break up on T V? And it's usually what a sitcom. Bro. Right, like you know, so like, like, where do you? There's no, and there's then no, the guys on the sitcom are always trying to weasel out of a relationship without actually breaking so up. So then, properly. so then you, what do you learn? You learn what you've been learned. Okay, well, this is this is the only this is the only reference point I have. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's all I know. So I yeah. don't know if it's right or wrong. It's all I know. It's all I know. Until I see something else, I can determine if that's right or wrong. Yeah. So how do we change that? Therapy. Individually. Individually. Um. It's hard, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, I think it takes things like what we're doing right now, this discussion that hopefully many people see, that hopefully they say, you know, maybe this is something I could put in my toolkit. You know, maybe just sitting my partner down and having a check-in discussion is something we can integrate into our relationship that could actually be really healing and helpful. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's how, and, and being not being afraid to be the, the captain of that. You know, a lot of times in relationships, we as men allow women to be the, you know, like you the one do all the feeling stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do all the heavy lifting, like spending money or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Um, no, we could take the lead on that too. You know, we could be the person say, "Hey, sweetheart, um, I want to I want to talk to you about this. Let's have a conversation." How long did you go from from the very first time to think, "Okay, I want to do therapy." And obviously you don't do it the first time you think about it mm-hmm. to actually starting doing therapy. And was it, when you started, was it like that going? Did you start, did you stop and then go again and then it continued? Yeah. Therapy is a process. Yes. Um, it doesn't, you know, there are a lot of X factors. Are you paired with the right person? Are you mentally in a place where you can receive what you're being told? Um, can you be completely honest at the time with the therapist? That's, that's a hard one. I, I've been there where I, I would withhold as if the person's going to judge me or like I'm ashamed of, you know, telling my side of a story or whatever it is. And then you're getting half the help. Yeah. And I'm only harboring myself at that point. I've done the same. Like yeah. I'm sitting there like, I'm going to tell them all this, but I'm not going to say this part. Yeah. And that's probably the part you need the most help with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, can't, they can't help unless you give them that. It's like when you go to a doctor and tell them like what kind of drugs you did. And if you don't tell them on the drugs, like, and, and they give you something, it fucks you up. It's like, it's, well, it's not the doctor's fault. You didn't even let them know. Like, <laughs> what are they diagnosing? Yeah, right? like, like whether, whether you did this drug or not, 
like the doctor's not gonna be like, well, you did this drug, now you gotta go to jail. It's like, well, this is my system, so they, that's why they need to know. And it's that's why things they like need that. to know. It's, it's same thing like this. Like, these are things that are in your system. These feelings, these things that you don't want to talk, those are the most things you need to talk about. These are in your system, and they need to know these things so that they can work with you to yeah. fix you. So, fix to, us. so therapy is a really, I mean, it's necessary, but it, it, it takes time. You know, you've got to give the therapist your background, your you know, family of origin, how you grew up. You got to give them all this backstory so they have context for who you are as a person and why yeah. you're making certain decisions. And then you got to get to the point where you're being completely honest about um, some of the things you're done doing, um, some of the thoughts you're having, and then you start peeling back the layers of where did that come from? How how they really don't tell you what to do, but they say, hey, well, does this serve you? Um, is this, you know, you've outlined, outlined some goals that you have for the future. Where do, do these actions align with these goals you have? And a lot of times the, the answer really just is not hard to find. You just need someone to work through those things with you. So um, it takes a long time. I mean, I'm still in therapy. Mm. I'm still like even now trying to undo habits, uh, thoughts, um, you know, just bad things I need to leave in the past that, that become part of who I think I am, um, but I, I need to kind of undo them and I'm still in that process. What, what would you say the biggest thing is that you're, you're trying to actively change for the better? I'm trying to be honest with myself. That's my, that's a, that's a problem with me. Like I've, I've got, you know, my personality is kind of like a, I don't give a fuck type of personality, like whatever, whatever. Yeah. But specifically in relationships, I kind of like people please. And that leads me not just romantic, but just in general. Yeah, in relationships yeah. in general, okay. like with people, mm. like not really advocating for myself and like how I really feel about something in some in sometimes contentious situations, and that just leads you know you know you're going this way, and then eventually, mm. you know what's happening, the interaction just goes way off course. Um, so that's something I'm working on, like being not brutally honest, but like constructively honest about how I'm feeling about things. Yeah. That's important. Absolutely. Honesty, self-honesty. I think you can't really be honest with anybody else if you're not honest with yourself. That's exactly where it starts. It has to start there. It has to start there. And you got to do that the deep dive. The good and the bad though. The, the, the bad especially. Like, the good too. Like, but it's because both, because like, like you, you want to over, I feel like you want to oversell some of the goods and undersell some of the bads. Yeah. Right. So it's really, and it's really like looking at that balance. Okay. I'm, I, I do, I'm very good at this. Mm -hmm. But also like, okay, but then I'm also could still need work on that. Over, I'm very bad at that. But like even some of those things that you're bad at. So okay, well, I'm still at least working on trying to fix some of these things. Yeah. One thing I've tried, you know, even in my, my radio personality, if you want to call that, is just embracing my imperfection. Like as part of the package, yeah. like my flaws, my little dings and nicks are, are actually part of this. And it's, you know, there's humor in that, there's truth in that, and there's also healing in that, where you could be like, yo, this is me. Uh, and, and then there's also like some really good moments of people relating to that, but like, yeah, I'm like that too. Hmm. I've got that same neuroses, you know, I've got, I've got that same thing going on. And, you know, when you're honest about it, you can kind of try to get around it. But if you're not honest about it, you just kind of tuck it away. So I think honesty is the, the key takeaway there. Honesty with self first and foremost, followed by honesty with the people that you care about. Yeah. Because you owe it to yourself, but you also owe it to the people you love to be honest with them. 100%. And, and, and we're and all the people to be honest with you too, like people around you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, being okay if that doesn't feel good to people. Like, mm. you know. Yeah. 
that, that was another one I battled. Is... Yeah, that's another one I really battle with. Like, yo, if I say this, the reaction, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to be responsible for how you feel, and then everyone has to be responsible for their actions, and then you go from there. Um, you know, it's just like a neurotic thing where you start going, oh my gosh, how, how are they going to feel about this? What are they going to yeah, say? Yeah, how are they going to yeah. react? And it's yeah. like, at some point, that's not your responsibility. Yeah, and you can't change it. Like, you can't, you yeah. can't, you can't, doesn't matter. Yeah, and then you start changing how you interact, how you feel, the decisions you make because of what you think they're going to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. How many terrible decisions were made based on that? Way too many. Yeah. Yeah. Jamar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. It flies. It's been an hour. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great hour. No, honestly. Um, but it, all it tells me is that there's a lot more. We got to have this conversation another time. Well, yo, two. thank you for facilitating these conversations. You know, th- this these type of conversations amongst men don't exist in many places. Um, so this is dope. Thank I'm you. To, I'm trying to keep it going. You know, like the... One combo at a time. One, man. Yeah. I love this because like, it's, like, it's also therapeutic. It's not therapy. But it's therapeutic, and it, it it's knowing that the people are listening to it, and they are getting at least what I feel, what I want from them, mm-hmm. which is like the, the the idea of just talking about it. Yeah, right? and see these, yeah, these people can just talk about it. Yeah, Jamal can just talk about it. I feel like anybody can talk about it. And we're we're all more similar than we think. So yeah. you know, a lot of people, and that's something I learned on radio. Like a lot of people see yourself, see themselves in in the things you say and the opinions you have. So. You know, being open about it is is a good thing for followers to kind of relate and get past things that we're working on. I th- I, honestly, I think there's so much to be happy about. There's so much positivity that's available around us. We just gotta we gotta seek it better. Word. We gotta find it better, and we gotta find a way to to cut out the negativity. We gotta find a way to cut out the generational trauma, the the societal stigmas. And ultimately accept that it's okay to not be okay. And that doesn't make you any less of a man. You can still be a strong, powerful, confident man mm-hmm. who expresses his emotions. Yeah. And also knowing that being a man that's a work in progress mm-hmm. is is completely uh, an acceptable and appropriate place to be. 100%. I love that. I, I don't think we can top that, so i got to end it on that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jamar, thank you for coming through. Thank brother. you very appreciate much. It. Thank you, my Poncho, thank you. Yeah.